Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Sandra Winka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Well, full disclosure, folks, day two of the 2021 Australian Open wasn't as much of a banger as day one. Uh, In full fairness, it had a tough act to follow, but it didn't quite live up to that act. But we're going to do our very best to overcompensate with today's tennis podcast. It was Crocodile Dundee 2, wasn't it, really? No, absolutely not. That is not an appropriate analogy. I've just promised that we'll we'll compensate, David, and make this a banger of the of podcast. And you've just slagged off a truly great, if in retrospect, a little bit racist film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Yeah, it didn't quite hit the heights of yesterday. There's there's still there's there's still interest in there, and we'll be talking about all of it. It's a, a number of talking points that have been raised but in terms of big results standout matches Shapovalov sinners type stuff um Andreescu comeback type stuff there's there's none of that there I don't think there'll be any uh action uh superhero movie analogies today yeah that that was one of the the great titles of a podcast that we've had so well done to you both for coming up with that I didn't come up with that one um what was it again? Uh, Avengers. Avengers Assemble. WTA Avengers Assemble. Oh. I mean, they'll be reassembling tonight yeah. and uh, on Wednesday. Yeah. I mean, that was what I was going to say. I think, yes, today was worse, but I think we probably expected it to be worse. It does have the two slightly weaker sides of the draw, I would say, overall. There's the fewer matches popping off the page when you look at that order of play. Uh, as you said, there's still some, still some interest, but the... The real bangers are on the odd days. The yes. even days are perhaps going to be a little bit slower. That's okay. Yes. More, more pressure on us to to create the interest. I'm ready. <laughs> uh, Crumble is our mascot, by the way. She will continue to be our mascot throughout this fortnight. Uh, Crumble content, I'm sure, will be forthcoming uh, in the coming days. She yeah, loves come on, it. Jim. <laughs> Poor Jim used uh, all his Australian merch last year. Yeah, yeah. How much more Australia paraphernalia can a man acquire? 
I, I don't know. Consider that a gauntlet laid down, Jim. Um, but where should we start? Where would you like to start? Yesterday I had big plans to go chronologically and then Shapovalov and Sinner threw those plans across the room. I think we could go chronologically, actually, because okay. it sort of, isn't, wasn't Azarenka fairly near the start of the day and that feels like the biggest okay. story to me, don't you? Well, if we're going chrono- chronologically, then she's not quite the first story. If we're going chronologically, then I think we kick off with Sophia Kennan starting oh, yeah. her, her title defence. First time she's ever defended a Grand Slam title. Um, she played Madison Inglis, who there's no point in me trying to pretend that I knew anything about her because everyone that listened to yesterday's pod will know <laughs> that I had to ask Matt what her first name was. <laughs> Uh, so she you played got it right Madi- eventually. <laughs> she played Madison, Madison with two D's English. That's what I know about her. Um, and uh, Kenan won in straight sets, um, but the scoreline does not tell the story of the match. The story of the match is that she was nervous. And we know that Kenan gets nervous before matches, before any match, really. She talks quite openly about how... You know, she's sometimes in tears in the locker room b- before matches. She certainly was before both her Grand Slam finals last year. But yeah, she she <laughs> she came into the the press conference afterwards, and she just kept saying, sort of slightly sheepishly, "Obviously, I was really nervous," <laughs> um, which was quite endearing, really. And uh, yeah, you know, it was it was a massive, massive deal for her and she obviously wanted to try and enjoy it and I think also the pressure to try and enjoy something like that brings with it its own nerves and you feel like oh god I'm too nervous to enjoy it and then you start beating yourself up listen to me pretending like I have any idea what it's like being in that kind of situation <laughs> uh, she plays Kaya Kanepi le- next and uh, I found this quote from Kenin really interesting and look we all know how dangerous Kanepi can be to anyone regardless if you're head to head with her uh, but Kanepi beat her in the previous match in Rome in 2018 which if I were Kenin I'd think well that doesn't mean anything that was two and a half years ago and I've won a grand slam and reached another final since then um, but uh, Sophia Kennan said, after my match, I came off court, saw that Kanepi was winning and I broke down a little bit because obviously I remember that I lost to her. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I do love the fact that Sophia Kennan tells us stuff like this, yeah. though. And I love the fact that she owns and admits to her nervousness mm. and the reasons for it. I can't think of too many that do this, that will be just blatant about it. I am really tight. I desperately, desperately don't want to muck up my title defense in the first round, and therefore I'm really tight as a drum. Um, And she just tells you that and lays it all bare and then goes and – what is it that Mary Carrillo says? Chokes and wins anyway. It's it's a really appealing side to Sophia Kennan. Yeah, and I'm sure it isn't as calculating as this, but because she does tell you that she's nervous, when she manages to overcome those nerves, that almost becomes like a super strength on the court. And and, and the opponents must think, well, I know she's struggling because she's told us she is, and yet she's still managing to play through it, still managing to find ways to win. How do you crack her if she's admitted to struggling and yet still managing to win? Um, Yeah, I mean, her tennis was 
all over the place, really. Today, she, she she didn't play well. She did enough to sneak through, I think, 7-5, 6-4. She does strike me as someone who's vulnerable early in this in this tournament. And obviously, Kanepi lurking in the next round is is the major obstacle for her. If she can find her feet, I think she becomes dangerous, a little bit like we saw at the French Open, where she was really struggling and then ended up making it through to the final. So... She's an easy player to overlook, I think, Kenin. I, for example, I don't think any of us really have her featuring, really, in the in the second half of this tournament. But we wouldn't have had her featuring in the second half of the tournament last year, probably, either. She's she's a very difficult one to figure out where exactly she is at any, at any given moment. And I think all that is even more true, given what David has already given the game away a little bit about, which is that her quarter of the draw has blown wide open overnight because we've seen losses for Victoria Azarenka and Maria Zachary, who I think all of us had in... That is Billie Jean walking across my laptop, uh, who I think all of us had in our at least quarterfinal lineup. I had her in my semi-final lineup as well. And despite all of us saying in uh, the... Uh, prediction the uh, the preview show that Kristina Mladenovic was a nasty draw and always a banana skin. Uh, none of us saw her beating Maria Sakkari coming, and certainly none of us saw Jessica Pagula beating Victoria Azarenka coming, which is what happened overnight. Two very different losses. Uh, Azarenka. Uh, had to stop play at a set and two four down as she was having it looked like difficulty breathing. She had an off court medical timeout. Went on to lose in in straight sets. When she was asked about that um, that incident and and the the medical issue after the match, she got she got quite angry about it and said kind of said you've got no no right to ask us and expect us to dis- disclose our uh, any medical information and said there should be a a, a rule change. Um, in order that they they don't have to disclose anything anything medical i i'm not saying there isn't sort of a grain of a point in there potentially or that some might might not agree with her um but i suspect she was incredibly crestfallen and pissed off after that loss she spent 2 weeks in hard quarantine she she us open finalist riding high you know she made big sacrifices to come to this tournament. There was a time not that long ago when she she wouldn't travel if she couldn't have her son Leo with her. Um, so it was a real sign of commitment that she, I mean, obviously with the time she decided to come, she didn't know it'd be a hard quarantine, but she knew it would be a quarantine. So after all of that, to lose in round number one um, must be a tough pill to swallow. And similarly, Zachary, although that was more of a kind of tennis-based loss to Kristina Mladenovic, she also was one of those that was in hard quarantine. Mm. And this yeah. is probably a trend that we need to be discussing now. Yeah, uh, they're totting up these uh, these players that are just tailing away in matches or even I agree with you. I mean, Mladenovic outplayed Sakari overall. Although there was a six-love Sakari set in the middle of that, but physicality will contribute to that. Preparation will contribute to that. You would you would expect. And 
I feel, I mean, she was she was very fair and to her opponent in what she said afterwards, but she also said I, I couldn't handle the pressure and she has dealt, struggled to deal with those situations in the past. But I think we are seeing the effects of bubble life generally, of quarantine, of hard quarantine in these players' cases. And and it's it's not easy. This is not natural. And um, it, it would it would be unfair of us, I think, to just watch this tennis and judge it on twenty twenty standards from a year ago. Um, it's the circumstances are different, and there are going to be some lopsided and weird losses from time to time. Um, and yeah, I, it's it must be pretty miserable tonight in uh, in Melbourne for for those two. Andrew, who's running our overnight twitter feed this week ran the numbers on the hard quarantined players on the opening day and the men were two wins 12 losses with the two wins coming against fellow hard quarantine players and that's a heck of a stat right there yeah it really is and i think pam shriver said that the hard quarantine would affect the men more than the women one of the reasons being the five sets, and we had a very small sample size at the US Open, but Guido Pella was in 14-day quarantine ahead of the US Open, and I remember he came out and played his first match, I think maybe a day or two after he'd just come out, and he lost to JJ Wolf in straight sets and was really under par. So there was a little inkling there that the men would would find it difficult. And the women on the opening day were five and five. Um, I'm not sure of the breakdown in terms of whether they were up against fellow hard quarantine players. And also, I guess, you know, there's there's more analysis you could do on that in terms of higher ranked opponents and that sort of thing. Um, worth saying that Contevate, Anne Lee, Andrescu, Costea, Rabatkina, all still in the draw, all won a first round, all also in hard quarantine. So... I think we'll get a clearer picture at the end of the tournament, but it certainly does seem to be a trend. And today it's really stood out because it's Zachary and Azarenka. Because I don't know about you, but when I when I looked at the draw and we, we were making our predictions, they were due to meet in the third round. And I thought that was a hugely consequential match in the whole tournament. You know, the winner would have a good chance of going on and reaching a deep round in this tournament. Um so I would say, yeah, of course, Kikin Rodanovic can upset anyone. Jessica Pegula has been knocking on the door a little bit. She's That's the win of her life, isn't it? It that really is. a heck of a win for her. Yeah. She played really, really well. She's coached by um, Venus Williams' former coach as well, David Witt. So that seems to be a really, really good mm. partnership. And she was trending nicely last season. I think she reached the third round at the US Open, her best ever Grand Slam performance, maybe... Maybe had a couple of wins. I want to say she beat Sabalenka, maybe Brady last year. So she is dangerous, but this is obviously... Big hitter, isn't she? This is obviously one of her better ever performances. But what it does mean, I think, is it leaves the already open top half just even more open now. This was the day that it, as you said at the top, Catherine, it, it really did blow open and there's chances for a lot of players now to certainly make the second week. Mm. Just finally on the the hard quarantine thing, Heather Watson won 
overnight. She she wasn't the Brit that anyone was expecting uh, to score a victory overnight, but she did over Christina Pliskova. Two tie-break sets. Uh, she plays Annette Contivate next. Just some quotes from her after the match, because obviously Heather Watson was also in hard quarantine. She said, I didn't feel as fit as usual, which is no surprise. I'm taking care of my body carefully because four days ago my left leg went into spasm and I couldn't finish practising. I was really worried about if I was going to be able to play my first round here. Mm. Um, so obviously, you know, there's more to it than just she won, therefore mm. the fact that she was in hard quarantine isn't affecting her. Yeah, I, um, I, some, I sort of thought that, you know, in a way... I could imagine almost blood clots being potentially a possibility in that situation. You've got to keep moving, and yet you've got so little space in which to move for two weeks. I mean, she did a 5K run in a room, which is hilarious. Um, but, you know, it's it's there are funny things to it, but it's also it – does, it does worry me, really, that I hope there aren't consequences – both physically and mentally from from this period um even obviously that it's their choice to go in, on this trip but still it, you know you hope hope for the best for them all um by the way she she did really well i thought watson against uh Pliskova, who's got that mighty left-handed serve and it's you have to hang in so much because balls are whistling past you and she won in two tie breaks and and did a really good job yeah, very impressive, I would say. As was Ash Barty. There was there was an alert from Matt sent out to our group that a golden set might be on the cards for Ash Barty. That is how good she was. Uh, she won six love, six love, and only lost ten points. What's a golden set again? So a golden set is when you win all the points in a set. Uh, Yaroslava Shvedova did it at Wimbledon 2012, I want to say, against Sara Irani. But it is incredibly rare. And yeah, she won the first 16. Of course, when I sent that message, she then lost the very next point. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, she was flawless, Ash Barty. She is so in control of where the tennis ball is going. It kind of reminded me of what Catherine says to Billie Jean. Ball on a string, ball on a string. It's actually cork, <laughs> cork on a string. Oh, okay. But, but the, the principle still applies. <laughs> she, it's like the ball is on a string. She knows exactly where it's going. She's a step ahead of her opponent. And, I mean, it was one of those where I really started feeling for Kovanic because there was, there was no way she could hurt Ash Barty and it was quite inevitable feeling early on that this was going to be six love six love it was sort of a poetic destruction because it looked really nice i love that barty like didn't give her a game because people might think of ash barty as the sort of player that mm. might might do that because you know she's so nice and everything but no she is ruthless should you no no ludicrous absolutely not but it does happen I'm not going to get six love, five love down <laughs> like to you, you Like you would do that, David. That's a chance to be a fine thing. I'd <laughs> love to be in that position. <laughs> I've never led anybody six love, five love at all. And I've, I mean, I've played my seven-year-old. Uh, she plays Gavrilova next. Or I think she plays Gavrilova. I wrote that in the notes before Gavrilova had actually won, but I think she has think she actually has won. won. Yeah. And yes. I am definitely getting ahead of myself here because... Oh, good. 
it's it's still only round one. Well, it's just finished round one. But what is one of our wishes for this tennis season that the leading players in the women's game all play well at the same time and we get some real rivalries developing and a, and a pack forming at that top of the rankings. And the start of this tournament, all of the players that are in that conversation have delivered what we call statement performances and Ash Barty was the latest of those. So I am crossing my fingers that they can keep it up. Look, I love upsets and there's a, certainly a place for them, but I, I would love a tournament where the final eight is a really, really strong final eight. Um, I, I mean, I said the top half was a little bit more open today. I still believe that with Zachary and Azarenka going out, but there's still enough players in there that we could get what we're after. That one quarter, though, it does feature, I think, it's one of four that will get to the eight, isn't it, that are, are really surprising when you list them all. Mm. Agula yes. uh, being one. Yes, that's not the list that I have in my notes, David, so thanks very much. I've got the list of the the seeds, the, the bigger names that could profit from from them being lost. It's, so thanks for using that <laughs> reference point. Appreciate it. It's the Alina Svitolina mm. eight, eighth. So it's Pagula, Stoza, Hibino, <laughs> Mladenovic, Putintseva, Van Oitvank, Goff and Svitolina. One of those will reach the quarterfinals. Yeah, Goff uh, beat Jill Teichman uh, during the day session. And uh, Svitolina was very good, beat Maria Bushkova in two sets. And Svitolina plays Coco Goff now in round two. Oh, yes. That was a really yeah. good match, Svitolina Bushkova. I, oh, wow, that's a, good, that's a great match on paper, isn't it? Mm. I was awake for that in the middle of the night, and Bushkova really pushed Svitolina. It was one of those where they were sort of forcing the other to raise their level, and they kept going with each other and... Really entertaining match. I was I was impressed with Svitolina. I think of her as someone who is vulnerable in slams, but I need to stop thinking that because I don't think she is. I think she's only lost before the third round once in the last four years. She's pretty reliable. It's actually the the second week hurdle that she has yet to mm. overcome. I think about the French Open where you know I think we said then she was it was kind of now it felt a bit now or never for her. Um, but she's in this little eighth of the draw that has slightly broken so perhaps a chance again but obviously Goff Goff will be tricky she was much improved I think today from her win over Teichman last week she beat her much more easily today and had sorted out her serve a little bit Elise Mertens was very good overnight one and three over Layla Fernandez she has picked up where she left off from winning one of the cup trophy opens from last week uh, Putin Saver by the way incidentally that you mentioned in that open section she beat Sloane Stevens overnight which according to the bookies apparently isn't a surprise she was the bookies favorite going into that match uh, against a former US Open champion which is a bit of a marker um, Joe Conter, um, sad story for Joe Conter. She had to retire against Kaya Yuvan. I know you were commentating on this one, David. Uh, an abdominal injury for Joe Conter, um, which is not something she's prone to at all, according to Anne Giotavong. You know, she does have parts of her body, the knee, of course, that she gets niggles in, and it's sort of a, a, a body part she's hyper vigilant about. The her sort of core and abdominals not that at all she she seemed 
and actually she said as much really in shock about it actually in the press conference afterwards and understandably so she was she was asked by Russell Fuller um of uh, of Five Live about the volume of injuries and retirements um in the Australian Open so far and whether tennis was trying to be in his words too ambitious by staging a major global event in the current climate and she replied very affirmatively um or, or very firmly rather we have to be ambitious to to keep this sport going we have to be ambitious she was really declarative about that despite clearly being very upset about her own personal situation which i which i found very interesting Mm, yeah, I, fe- I felt for her really today because she was winning that match. She was uh, knocking on the door of a br- of of the set on Yuvan's serve, didn't take her chances, then served for it herself. And at 15 all, at 5-4 when she was serving, she just went to the umpire and said, I've got to leave the court uh, and get this sorted out, otherwise I can't play. And the trainer came with her. And I did think at the time maybe maybe it's an abdominal problem because – when you tear a stomach muscle like that, there's no way back. You cannot play through that because every part of your game relies on that part of your torso. And um, she, yeah, she was she was devastated, really. And and, and in relation to her her point, I mean, look, I, I ultimately I agree with her that the sport is trying to get by and just get through this period. But it does feel like players are going to be suffering more than they normally would these type of injuries. Mm. Uh, also a defeat for Fran Jones, the British qualifier against Shelby Rogers. Pretty straightforward victory. I mean, she fought very hard, as we've come to expect from Fran Jones. She was very het up about an automated line call. Of course, they're all automated, this tournament, which she's utterly convinced was dodgy. Um, and she says that swung the momentum of the match. I mean, they definitely can be dodgy, Hawkeye Live calls because there was one in the Dan Evans Borna Chorich match. Sorry to bring up this match again, David. I know you've you know been through therapy to try and put it behind you, and and move on. Uh, he won overnight, by the way, Borna Chorich. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. Um, there was there was I like a Borna. I just just that <laughs> serving routine. Come on, get on with it. Um, there was a. I don't know if you remember this, but there was a very clearly incorrect. Hawkeye Live call in that match and they and Born and Chorich just sort of laughed it off and said, Oh, of course he's having that point and gave it to him. And and yes, the umpire serve, accepted that. Yeah. Mm, I remember now. Yeah. Yeah. And everybody just agreed, well, yeah, of of course that wasn't the right call and moved on. It was that it was that clearly incorrect. So I mean I'm i I'm okay with that so long as everybody accepts that it's you know we all know there's a margin for error with with Hawkeye, and it's automated so it'll be impartial. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it does lead to some slightly strange situations on the big courts where reviews are available. But mm. the, but the problem is <laughs> they're getting a review from the same technology <laughs> yeah. that called it out. <laughs> so of course it's just going to be the same. I think mostly they're they're looking for peace of mind when they ask for a review or a close call, you know, for it to be shown. Um, but it does strike me as a bit strange that they would even waste any or, or energy for, or on for that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I think in their head they just can't. They're struggling to accept what yeah, they've seen with their own it. eyes, and they're looking mm. for some sort of backup. But 
Yes. <laughs> Not going to work, that is it. Um, last story from the women's half of the draw. Paula Bedosa lost out. A Spanish player lost out to Samsonova overnight. 6-7-7-6-7-5. Two-hour, 38-minute match. Bedosa had served for it. Utterly heartbreaking lost loss for her. Um she had to spend 21 days in hard quarantine because she already was on one of the the cursed flights, um, the passengers of which had to go into to 14 days hard quarantine. And during that time, she tested positive for COVID. Um, so I don't that she she didn't play any of the warm up events, had to go straight into a Grand Slam after three weeks of hard quarantine and then lost having having served for the match. I mean, yeah, I hope she's got some whiskey or something available in that hotel room that she's already spent far too much time in. Yeah, somebody, maybe it's a different hotel room, I don't know. Somebody bar a cake, goodness. Yeah. I mean, you know, she she will need cheering up. I mean, I feel I was sorry for her. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, her, her story as it was going along mm. – it was bordering on fast the way the way she was just getting told, sorry, 14 days lockdown. Sorry, you've got to have another seven in a special place on your own, totally on your own. Um, and then she comes out and she plays this epic and doesn't win. I mean, that's not fair. Yeah, send, <laughs> send puppies and cake to wherever Paola Bedosa is right now. Uh, moving on to the men. Uh, I've already given the big story away, which is Borna Chorich has won. Mm. Mm. Uh, Rafael Nadal also won straight sets. Uh, subscribers to the newsletter, which you all should be. Um, I think John Wertheim is because he is bigging up Matt on air on the tennis channel. Quite right too. Yeah, yeah. apparently he is. Uh, Matt woke up in the middle of the night, wasn't intending to. I had, I had stayed up to watch tennis. Matt woke up, glanced at his phone, saw a message from me that just read OMG in caps and thought, better have a look at this, and dis- and and said, I've just discovered I'm a superstar. So I'm wide awake now. <laughs> what I actually thought had happened was Rafa Nadal had withdrawn. <laughs> This is far more important. I thought that's the only thing that would elicit such strength of emotion from Catherine at midnight or I don't know what time it was, one o'clock in the morning probably. Oh, I don't know. You're forgetting cheese. True. There's always cheese. But anyway, no, it was just me uh, getting on Tennis Channel, sort of. Uh, You you said, I'm just going back through the messages. It was 12.59 a.m., Oh, I'm not going to come out of this well. And Matt said, I wasn't actually planning to be awake now, but I woke up and checked my phone and discovered I'm an international megastar. (laughs) (laughs) And and he's a megastar because John Wertham quoted his amazing stat about Steffi Graf's 42 sets in a row, correct? Yes. Oh. Yeah. John did actually get it slightly wrong. John, what are you doing? (laughs) Did he? (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) But thank you very much, John. <laughs> he, he then said, but I might actually go back to sleep now. The schedule's a bit ropey. Um, but you said, but this has been fun. Yes. <laughs> um, so uh, Rafael Nadal did not withdraw and he did not 
lose. And subscribers to the newsletter will have seen that I predicted him to lose. And I would like to put the disclaimer on there that that's not actually because I thought that he was going to lose to Laszlo Gera. It's because had he lost or retired from that match, I would have scored 240 points, which would have pretty much meant I could have put my feet up and done what I liked for the remainder of the tournament and still beaten David, Matt, uh, Alex, who were taking on this tournament and Daryl, who were taking on throughout the year. So it was a it was a strategic prediction rather than a, I think this is going to happen. Have I, have I talked myself out of that? Yeah. And, you know, there was only one moment in the match, but there was a moment in the match when I suddenly thought, Oh my word, Catherine's going to win 250 points. <laughs> and and Rafael Nadal's going to have to pull out the tournament or he's going to lose the match. Um, well, I, talk, talk me through it. A, why were you awake, David? Well, just... Uh, just I, I, what I went what to bed hours at, did you sleep last night? I went night? to bed at 8.30 and I set my alarm for 4.30 and I woke up at 2.30. So it just happened to come on. And then uh, and then I was really interested because obviously we've had all the, the conversation about is Rafael Nadal's back playable? You know, but he here he was saying, um, I am struggling to serve for the last 15 days. I've served, tried to serve today, he said the other day, didn't he? And he pulled out of all the all the matches that in the ATP Cup that he was scheduled for. And at that point, about an hour before he was due to get on court, I suddenly thought, Catherine, Matt and I, none of us have picked this guy who's won 20 Grand Slam singles titles. None of us have picked him to reach the quarterfinals here. Mm. What the did, hell are we doing? Did Pam Shriver? I don't know. Oh, I what, don't what? know. I was quite worried about your state, David. You were tweeting in block capitals at 2.45am. Well, it's big, <laughs> the sudden absurdity of it all hit me that we've written off this guy. Mm. Uh, well. And, 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 and I got, I got uh, what do they call it? I got, I got dragged or slayed or something like that. By, uh, I mean, I'm sure Mike Dixon of the Daily Mail doesn't doesn't use that sort of terminology, but that's basically what he did because he he did point out to me, uh, have you how many of the pre-tournament Rafael Nadal press conferences have you been to over the years? Which is actually a fair point because he does rather undersell his chances and. Um, sure, but usually he's played some matches. Yeah, well, that's I mean that's what I went on certainly, and 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 look in terms of what I saw on the court. He didn't. He was far from his best. Uh, he, he. Yeah. I, I felt he was. I felt he was kind of shielding his serve in a way. I felt like he was protecting his body a little bit as he served. It didn't look quite the same serve to me. Now maybe that's me just searching for f- because I'm looking at it very closely, whereas normally I wouldn't. But I didn't. He wasn't convincing in the way he normally is. There was a period where Jerry won. Uh, nine points in a row in the first set, and the moment that I that I mentioned Catherine that that I thought maybe you might actually get this is is he was I think five three up and serving for it, and and I think Jerry got to fifteen forty or something like that, and it just looked really kind of on a knife edge just for a moment that things could turn here, um, and Nadal got his way out of that little spot and then won quite comfortably, but he's not right. Whether he, whether it's something that by having that extra couple of days will clear up is another matter, but certainly not convincing. Yeah, he he he's not right. He described that as surviving. He said, "I needed to survive, and I did," which I've got to say is a 
is a bit of a burn for <laughs> for Laszlo Gero, who's lost uh, three, four, and one. I think. <laughs> um, he, I, I thought I, I, I sort of whizzed through and watched it back. I thought it was really noticeable how aggressive Nadal was playing, which I kind of love to watch. But same as you, David, I interpreted that as protecting the serve. Trying, he was trying to shorten points. He was really aggressive on on the backhand. He admitted after the match that he was trying to. He, he had um, uh, adjusted his service motion somewhat. Um, and he was only averaging about 110 miles per hour on the first serve, which I know he's not one of the fastest servers out there, but that is, that's low for him. Um, he, he's not right. He's still a great, great player. Um, and he can win tennis matches not being quite right. But I, I still stand by the fact he's not going to win this tournament. No, not unless that situation clears up. And I suppose mm. the question mark is, is that doable when he's playing every other day? What did you think, Matt? Did you see any of it? Yeah, I had the same assessments as you. I think he was fortunate that Jera hasn't got a huge serve himself because I think Nadal felt comfortable that he would be able to get into Jera's service games every time, basically. And that meant that he didn't have to really go for it quite so much on his own serve. And I agree, I thought he was... I thought he was holding back a little bit. There were a couple of moments where he looked a little stiff, like the match could turn. But I would say I have come out of this slightly more encouraged than I was before it. He's clearly not right, but we knew he wasn't right. The fact he he was able to play through it and win is a is a decent sign. And if it's if it's a muscle thing, which I think it is, he said that is the sort of injury which can quite suddenly clear up and you can be okay. I remember Federer last year, I think it ended up being more of a serious injury, but he thought that his injury that he took into that semi-final against Djokovic could clear up. And he was saying, I just, I just hope it will. And with Nadal, if he can, because it's so early in the tournament, if he can make it through, it's, it's possible he'll be looking stronger in that second week. But there was, there were a few opponents on his path that could... Mm. that could block him, I think, if he is below par. Well, incidentally, none of my uh, back injuries just suddenly clear up, but I shall continue to live in hope. <laughs> um, the thing the thing is, looking at his draw, and look, all due respect to everybody whose name I'm about to read out and throw under the bus, uh, even subpar, it's hard to see how Nadal won't win through Michael Moe uh, in the next round um, and then either Cam Norrie or a bloke who I'm going to have to click on to discover his first name, um, Roman Safiulin, world number 183 from Russia. Uh, so Cam Norrie, who beat Dan Evans overnight, plays Safiulin uh, and then the winner of that plays the winner of Nadal and Michael Moe. After that, it's potentially Alex de Menor, which is where I... Yeah, that's the one. On the basis of current evidence, see Nadal struggling because de Menor will, will be able to expose physical issues. But if Nadal gets those two matches to play himself in and the back does clear up, then who knows? Yeah, that's that's where I'm at as well with it all. And in the meantime, we'll all research Roman 
Safirlin, which we'll definitely call a good second round draw for Cam Norrie. After Rome, his, Roman is a great name. His four, four, it is a great name, yes. Um, like Aslan, which is also quite a common Russian name, people have told me on Twitter. Great. Big fan of Russian names. Um, yeah, Cam Norrie beat Dan Evans, uh, four sets. You both called it. You said that was really tricky for Cam Norrie. And I, I was struck by the similarities as I was watching it between Cam Norrie and Yoshihito Nishioka. Who who beat who beat Dan Evans last last year? It, it's gutting for Dan Evans that loss, really gutting. Uh, he said that this past week is bittersweet for him. Of course, he won the Murray Ocean Road <laughs> Trophy Cup Classic. Um, last week, his first ATP title. But he said, "I want to do well in Grand Slams, and with due respect to that warm up tournament." No one will remember I won that in three weeks' time. Um, and he said, because of the proximity of winning that first ATP title to the Grand Slam, he said he felt really mentally flat today, which is understandable, I suppose. Mm. And, and, and I know he, some people will think, oh, well, just shake yourself out of it. But it is just not that easy. It was also clearly in his head because he he, he remarked that Norrie had lost early last week and therefore would have done, in his words, a shed load of practice over the last week. And it was clear in their their respective demeanours, both in terms of the way they were carrying themselves physically around the court in the rallies, but also sitting down. Evans was agitated, irritable. Norrie, he's a real competitor, that guy, and he loves the fight, and he knows he's not as talented as Evans, and he kind of gets a buzz out of still winning anyway. You know, even with what he's got, shoveling the ball around sometimes, spanking it down the line and just, just getting his, you know, bring it. Evans did not know how to play that match. He was not sure which tactic. He got a few options. He didn't know which one was the best. And Norrie just had an answer for the, for, for them all. Most of the time he was even, even when the scores were level, Evans was hanging on and it was a really good win, deserved win for Norrie. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. 
Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. We told you we would attempt to compensate for the slightly less entertaining uh, on-court uh, events overnight and I think we've done that by David Law using the word spanking <laughs> so you're welcome obligation fulfilled that's what I do with my forehand yeah I don't know where it's going but I do hope Dan Evans can gain a little bit of perspective on this last week in time I know he's talking there about time making that title win seem even less relevant than it does now but Winning on the ATP Tour for the first time is a pretty big deal. Someone who has come close and not done that. That was a significant thing he accomplished last week. And I I know it must be irritating that it has impacted his preparation for the Grand Slams. And I'm totally with him on the point that he is now, this is a pattern now of underperforming at Grand Slams. It's, it's It's been like that for probably just over a year, really, where his his slam results haven't matched his tour results. Um, but that was a good victory in that in that tournament. He beat some quality players in Chorich and Auger Eliassime and Jeremy Shardy to win that. Um, I hope he looks back on that more fondly than he does in the heat of a moment after a Grand Slam exit. Yeah, I agree, actually. I think people will remember that he won an ATP title. I think there are those that have won an ATP title and those that haven't. And I think that that will be a significant um, achievement next to his name when he retires. Um, whereas second round of a slam, no. Yeah. I mean, of course, had he reached a quarterfinal, you'd, you'd probably exchange that for an ATP title. But, you know, who knows? Um, Matteo Berrettini beat uh, Kevin Anderson in straight sets. Berrettini is on a good run of form. I accidentally went to his press conference, which was almost entirely in Italian. Um, How did you manage that? um, It followed on immediately from Sitsipas, and I was just sort of there, so I stayed. Oh, sorry, Matteo, I didn't mean to be here. I'm not interested in you. And it, it, it felt rude to leave. So <laughs> I sat there through all the Italian. Uh, he seemed in very good spirits. He played oh, very well. I yeah. think it's much better to accidentally be in a virtual press conference than a real life press conference. Oh, yes. Then you have to ask something. Yes. Just, or you just get up in the middle <laughs> and say, sorry, can you just, I just need to go. I just I'm not really interested. No, you can't. You can't. You can't do that, David. You and your you and your breaking the unwritten rules of press conferences. It was this time last year that you almost got yourself chucked out of Naomi Osaka's or something, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> With the uh, constant asking of questions without Basically raising hands. Basically turned hand. it into a one-on-one. <laughs> that was great, though. Nobody told like me. An audience with David Law yeah. and Naomi Osaka. We were just having a chat. I didn't know. Um... 
Rublev won very easily over Hanfman. Medvedev very easy over Pospisil. Same for Duminor over Tennis Angren. If you haven't seen Duminor going for the headshot at Tennis Angren. Um, on match you, point. On match point. You nailed him you in the might face. En- you might enjoy it. <laughs> uh, Tennis Angren is fine. By the way, I, I'm not. I, I'm not cheering on the prospect of him being injured. Alexei Popperin beat beat bad Superman David Goffin. It's not. It's not a great time for David Goffin, is it? <laughs> That's become a nickname. I can't believe it. <laughs> He's become known as Bad Superman. <laughs> that, I mean, only on here. <laughs> Maybe it'll spread. Oh, mate, no. John Wertheim will be saying it tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be waking Matt up in the middle of the night to tell him. (laughs) (laughs) That was by far the most fun match of the day. I mean, not for David Goffin, obviously, (laughs) but if you're looking for an atmosphere, that was the place to be today. Popperin coming back to beat Goffin, who had four match points. They They were saved with a mixture of really tight play from David Goffin. So many double faults crept into his game in those in that last hour, probably. And Popper in stepping up and really nailing some winners. Um, it was a it was a really fun match and just just summed up how how much fans can make a difference. Popper mm. in was asked in his press conference, "Would you have won that without fans?" And he said, "Yeah, obviously." And then <laughs> laughed and said, "No, of course I wouldn't." <laughs> <laughs> they oh, wow. they really helped me through that, and um, you know because he was down a lot and he had to find energy to pick himself up and they gave him that energy and yeah. yeah Goffin is becoming one of those opponents now that gets beaten by people who make themselves a story by mm. beating him Alcaraz mm. wasn't it last week yes yeah. Alcaraz won overnight uh straight set versus Botic van der Zandschlup who I'm very eager becomes a thing that is well pronounced I think Catherine Thank you very much. I'm not about to try and repeat it. Appa- I've been informed by Patrick Moratoglu on Twitter that we all need to learn how to pronounce his name because he's going to be a thing. I suspect that's because he is associated with the Patrick Moratoglu Academy. Um, but there did we go. Nothing, Bob- did he, did he, did he get not in touch with you personally? No. Okay. <laughs> he was informing the, the, the tennis world, world and, and the the, world. by extension the world that we should all get used to saying Botic van der Zandschlup. And actually, now we're doing it, I'm really enjoying saying that. <laughs> so. uh, I could do with a bit of a, a tutorial mm. afterwards, if that's all right. Uh, Alcaraz, this is via the ITF notes, is the first male player born in 2003 to win a Grand Slam match. And he's the youngest winner of a Grand Slam match since Tanasi Kokonakis at the Australian Open in 2014. That, oh, wow. It was wow. seven years ago that Kokonakis made that breakthrough and he won overnight and he will now play Stefanos Tsitsipas in round number two because Tsitsipas, who we thought would be given a headache by old Gilles Simon, uh, he lost only four games Um, and (laughs) probably the match, you know, aside from Tsitsipas being really, really good, is now going to be most remembered for... The incredibly awkward post-match interview between Sitsipas and Jim Courier uh, on the court afterwards, and the heavy role played in that by 
the Rod Laver Arena crowd. Um, Sitsipas was asked, were you expecting to win that easily? And he answers, he's earnest, Stefano Sitsipas. He answers a straight question with a straight answer. And he said, I wasn't expecting it to come so easy, to be honest. I mean, none of us were. That is documented on this podcast multiple times. Uh, and the crowd started laughing at him and and booing him. And he's not really equipped to kind of deal with that, is he? Because he's so earnest. And uh, captured on our Twitter beautifully by, by Hannah Wilkes, who was uh, in charge of uh, tweeting on the evening session, is Stefano Sitsipas doing a perfect replica of the grimace emoji. <laughs> It's of the it's, oh god, what have I said? Yeah, yeah look, it's, he's he's absolutely <laughs> nailed it, um, and he just doesn't understand why they're booing him. And then sort of he's probed further by Jim Curry, and he says, "I think I played great, a spectacular match from beginning to end." And then they started <laughs> laughing at him again, and he goes, "What am I even doing here?" Um, and then and then he says. I don't even know what his tactic was. And he's trying to <laughs> he's, he's trying to explain what he means by saying, yeah, I didn't expect to win that easily. Um, but the, the crowd are in hysterics by this point. And he just says, look, I can, le- I can just leave if you want me to. Um, I know, Bless I know. And then, and then he's asked um, about the fact that he's playing Kokonakis in the next round. He, uh, and Jim Curry sort of says, well, you, you had the majority of the support tonight because of this fantastic um, Greek population in Melbourne. You know, Greek players generally do enjoy lots of support. Feels like you're a home player here. Lovely, lovely. But you're playing Kokonakis next. And then he's asked, do, do you think you'll have the home support in that one? And uh, Sitsipas goes, well, I know Tanasi well. He's a really nice guy, but that won't matter on the court. <laughs> and then and then he starts getting laughed at oh. again. And he just he just can't cope with that kind of situation, can he? And then I and then he comes to press really quickly after the match. Um f- 15 minutes I think after leaving the court and he looked really confused and crestfallen. He looked upset he looked really oh. upset actually and he wasn't asked about it in in the press conference um and i think he was relieved to get out of there without being asked about it he was invited goaded dragged uh into the kyrgios djokovic debate by some australian journalists who have obviously I, I mean i haven't been to all the press conferences but i presume they just want anybody of note to give them quotes on Kyrgios versus Djokovic and Tsitsipas swerved it pretty well. I mean, he sort of said some stuff about Kyrgios, but nothing nothing controversial, I don't think. Mm. Um, which kind of made me think, oh, so you are capable of swerving a, <laughs> swerving a question <laughs> then. Oh, but bless him, he looked really shaken by it. I mean, nobody... Nobody meant any ill by it. You know, Jim Curry didn't, the crowd didn't. Or he needs to learn some techniques of some kind in order to handle it because he's actually I, a, a wonderful interviewee. I love I listening to, to, to do No, that I know, I understand that. But I mean, I love listening to him in certain forums. 
But I mean, we've seen it before in the interview on court at the O2, where he's just going off in all sorts of weird directions, and it's really hard to understand what he's talking about. And you're talking to a crowd, and they're not following it. Um, and it's look, I don't really know what the answer is there, um, but I I did feel for him a bit. Yeah, yeah. I really felt for him. I mean, Catherine, you made the point. Put Roger Federer on that court and make him say the exact same first sentence that Sitsipas said, and no one would have been laughing or gently booing him. I do, I'm not sure about that. You know, I think over the years when Roger Federer has said sort of, sort of a a kind of humble brag or whatever, it, people snigger. People yeah, okay. snigger, and then they Maybe go, they oh, laugh, but they wouldn't oh, have booed. God. No, no, they wouldn't. They wouldn't. No, you're right. It was. It I'm surprised. Was I'm, I the kind of context is everything. You know, because he's so earnest, he's never in on the jokes. It's a pass. Mm, yeah. And that does make it a bit different somehow. There's this sort of naivety to him, which is wonderful. That's why I do feel maybe he he could just learn a little bit about how to do it. You know, I'm not. I don't want him to be media trained and stop being interesting and saying nothing. Just mm. there are little mechanisms to turn it around and be able to get out of there. I mean, sometimes he, sometimes he does. Sometimes he does, but it's sort of by accident rather than by design, isn't it? Because he's not he's not filtering anything. He's just being himself. Yeah, and I find himself really likable. But mm. yeah, I I really I really felt for it felt for him and I suspect a lot of that crowd ended up probably feeling a bit regretful they probably just didn't know him that well, well and look, when didn't you were expect reading those it to quotes, go that, that way when you wrote those quotes Catherine I was laughing just now mm. you know I can't deny it it, was, it sounds funny um, so I can't really have it both ways but yeah. you know I don't it know what to say it was the booing for me mm. Mm. the laughing was was fine but you, you said, Catherine, I think he, he was okay afterwards, though, wasn't he? I mean, I think he'd, you know, it wasn't, I don't think it's scarred. Yeah, I mean, I think, he, I think he will be fine. But he, as I say, he came to press very quickly and he obviously was still a bit sort of in his head about mm. it. You know, he doesn't, we know he's a dweller. Yeah. It, um, can we just, I mean, you were perhaps going to do this anyway, but could you just a word on Kokonakis? Because I always think back to that interview you did with him at Queen's two or three years ago about... I mean, even back then, he'd had a terrible time, hadn't he? And he mm. was very emotional in that interview you did with him. And I mean, it's it's not got any better, has it? Seventeen comebacks or attempted comebacks since yeah. then. And um, he was crying on the court today while sitting down after the match. And he's yeah. such a lovely bloke. Um, mm. And and I always remember back when he came on the scene with Kyrgios, and Todd Woodbridge said, "You know, I think." Of the two, Karkanakis is the more talented, the more capable of packaging a game that could do damage. And he should have been, in my view, Karkanakis alongside Zverev and all these guys mm. right now. And he's and had to his, watch it all happen without yeah, him. Yeah, Must be soul-destroying. But good for him. He's in the second round of the Australian Open. Brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, we start with the second round in earnest uh, on Wednesday midnight UK time and we start with Andreescu against Shea. Yes, yes, please. Uh, I will definitely be staying up for that one. Which... We, had a, we had a 10 minute discussion before the podcast, didn't we, about whether I could find a way to watch that mm. without completely ad- obliterating my sleep. I've advised plan. a very hefty nap this afternoon. 
and then a wake up between sort of midnight and two and then an extra two and a half, three hours after that. That is my recommendation. Yeah, and I, I am a sleep expert. I know. Well, I'm not. Uh, then work. it's Stojanovic and Williams, Djokovic, Tiafo. Uh, third on Rod Laver Arena. Then the night session is Garcia against Osaka. Yes, please. Although Matt gave short shrift to the suggestion that Garcia might be any kind of challenge to Osaka. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, uh, Osaka's going to win. But uh, Then it's Maxime Cressy against Alexander Zverev. The Ivan Guligong Arena, Sabalenka against Kazakina. Then Kostea Kvitova, Team Kupfer. And then the night session, Samina Halep against Ayla Tomljanovic. Grigor Dimitrov against Alex Bolt. Uh, court three, the pick there is probably Shapovalov-Tomic last up. Uh, I am interested to see the reception that Tomic gets because the mere mention of his name didn't go well <laughs> in Shapovalov's post-match interview the other night. Uh, Auger Aliassime against uh, Jack Duckworth. James Duckworth. James Duckworth. Jack Duckworth Jack is Duckworth a character is a, from, from Coronation, Coronation Street, Street. R.I.P. <laughs> uh, yes. The fifteen seventy three arena is where you'll find Riley Apelka tomorrow, David. He's last up. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be there. Yeah. You'll be the only person watching that. And on the John Kane arena, which always features last on the order of play for some reason. So I have to scroll all the way down to find it, even though it's sort of technically the third, third court. That's where you'll find Stan Wawrinka and Martin Fuchovic, Venus Williams against Sara Irani, Igor Svantec against Camilla Georgi, and then Nick Kyrgios against Ugo Umber. It's a great order of play overnight. And from about 7am tomorrow morning, which is when uh, I schedule my alarm to wake up it's when david goes on air with five live isn't it or is it eight o'clock david what time seven, are you on yeah. air seven, seven great um that's when things will be just great i think Kyrgios will be getting underway riley apelka will be in full swing exactly <laughs> a soccer against garcia it, it's 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 going to be a great watch a great listen um hopefully a great podcast just as this one has been yeah uh, as I said, Crumble is our mascot. Uh, hello, Crumble. You're great. Um, uh, Scouts on Mousel is Matt's mascot. Zeus is mine. Sorry, Zeus, that I haven't been doing better with predictions, but I'm feeling confident about tomorrow. Rogue is David's mascot. Chris Albert Lee is our executive producer. And our shout-outs, Matt, are four. Or John Carlson. Right, John. Ooh. Hello, John. Another potential Scandinavian. Oh, yeah. I mm. mean, there, there was uh, Kenneth Carlson, who was a tennis mm. player. I wonder if there's any relation there. I mean, you know, there can only be a couple of Carlsons. <laughs> Dave is laughing at his own joke. Next one, Matt. <laughs> Next one is Vic K. Oh. Mm. A li- little bit incognito. V- right, Vic, Vic. How are we spelling Vic? V-I-K and then K. Wow, that's, I mean, that's cool, isn't it? Wow, yeah. Go on, Vic. Thanks for supporting us. And finally, Laura Slattery. Oh, Oh, we know Laura. Yeah, Laura's ever so nice to us. We always like Laura. Thanks for Laura. Laura. Thanks very much to everyone that supported us. Uh, We've got sort of a bigger bigger team than we've ever had before working on this um, Australian Open, and it's really exciting for us. And uh, thank you to Andrew 
and to Hannah that's helping us with our Twitter. I very much enjoy waking up and reading through our Twitter feed. It's one of my favourite things of the day. Finding out where where in the world Matt has become famous overnight. <laughs> uh, Patrick's editing for us. Hello, Patrick. Um, so, yeah, it's a treat and it wouldn't be possible without your support. So thanks very much. Sign up to our newsletter um, because it's great. I also love reading that. Um, and we'll be back for another daily tennis podcast tomorrow. We'll speak to you then. 